Good evening. You are listening to the Ecology Hour on KZYX 88.1 Fort Bragg, 90.7 Philo, 91.5 Willits and Ukiah, Mendocino County's Public and Community Radio. And I will be your host this evening, Hannah Bird. And I am really excited that actually for most of the evening tonight, I will be handing over the hosting job to my colleague, Madrona Quinn. Um, Madrona, welcome to the Ecology Hour. Thanks, Anna. It's so good to be here. <laughs> and so let's get started. I'd love to hear a little bit about what is Grizzly Core. Right. A good place to start. <laughs> Grizzly Core is an AmeriCorps program that's being hosted for the first time this year out of UC Berkeley's Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment. They're partnering with California volunteers to send recent college graduates into rural communities all across California in hopes to promote regenerative agro-food systems and fire and forest resilience. Excellent. And so, what brought you to the Grizzly Corps? How did you find out about it? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, I keep up with the AmeriCorps opportunities as they come out each year, and there's a couple different platforms I use to do that. I ran across the Grizzly Corps opportunity on the Conservation Job Board, which is a great resource for anyone looking to keep up with environmental jobs. They do a good job curating opportunities all across the United States. And so, yeah, I'd encourage people to keep up with the Conservation Job Board if they're looking for opportunities like this. And uh, you can also find AmeriCorps opportunities on the AmeriCorps website, which is my.americorps.com. Gov, and AmeriCorps is spelled A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Hopefully some listeners might be interested in joining themselves. Um, so what do you feel are the benefits that come with a year of service within a program like this? Yeah, there's so many. Um, I guess the biggest one that people think of is the scholarship that you win at the end. If you complete all 1,700 hours of service in a year, or um, if you complete your program, whether it's a three-month, six-month, or um, year-long term, you'll get a scholarship at the end. And in this particular program for Grizzly Corps, I'll be getting about $10,000 of scholarship at the end, which is awesome. And that can go towards uh, graduate school or existing student loans. You can even use it for programs like the National Outdoor Leadership School, uh, which takes people on expeditions to teach them rock climbing guide skills and things like that. So it's really exciting to get that scholarship. And uh, you also get a really big career development opportunity. Um, I've been able to go to two different conferences already, the California Invasive Plant Symposium and the um, California Resource Conservation District Conference. So there's a lot of you know opportunities like that that come along with doing a term of service as well. Do you have any ideas what you'll spend your scholarship on? Oh gosh, I have so <laughs> many spinning in my mind. I think the the number one choice this far has been to um, go get a graduate certificate in geographic information systems, which is a map making software. It seems like a really good investment. So that, that's probably what I'll do with it. But the, the Knowles courses are really tempting as well. Mm. And there's still time to, be right. able to make those decisions. Yeah. Right. yeah, I've got some time to decide. So this program has brought you to the Hopland Research and Extension Center. Uh-huh. But what kinds of projects are you actually working on here? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> um, so... Hopland Research and Extension Center has some really big dreams for the upcoming year and we're trying to put all of those on paper in a carbon farm plan, which is my main project this year. So it'll be a comprehensive plan where we try to outline the ways that we can manage our land in the most sustainable way possible and try to bring the greatest benefits to the plant community and to the soil um, and to water resources here. And a big part of the reason to do the Carbon Farm Plan is to create potential research projects about these beneficial practices so that there can be, uh, you know, some kind of quantifiable benefit uh, for landowners to consider when they're thinking about doing carbon farm projects on their land. Yeah, so um, part of the Carbon Farm Plan will be to do a forest inventory to see how, you know, the distribution and type of trees that we have on site and how much carbon is stored in them currently. 
and uh, we'll be engaging student volunteers from Berkeley hopefully in doing that so I'm excited to, to plan that volunteer event. Then we want to at the same time identify all the areas that we want to plant trees and try to quantify um, and measure like where the starting point is and then what we want to achieve so that we can check in on those goals and do research projects as we go along. Yeah. Um, and then I guess another big goal that I, I can't fail to mention is that they want to bring cattle to the land this year, which is will be you know, a historical moment because we've always grazed sheep here at HREC. And so we're doing a lot of um, surveys to figure out where we're at before the cattle come so we can research the effects the cattle have on the land. Um, so we're doing soil compaction measurements, residual dry matter measurements, and the pastures we're going to bring the cattle to, um, all different things like that to set up future research opportunities about the effect of cattle grazing and hopefully what, what will end up being beneficial effects um, from, from managing the cattle in a way that hopefully will sequester carbon on our land. So you're going to fit that in a little bit with that carbon farm plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all interrelated and connected. So hopefully it'll be a comprehensive plan for the entire property. Excellent. So you've referred to this this carbon farm plan. What is the value of sequestering carbon on a landscape like this? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an important um, thing to understand, I guess, when you're going into creating a carbon farm plan is like, you know, why, why are we doing this? Um, and that's such a, a massive concept that it's hard to know where to start. But um, I guess it, to begin is to think about uh, our global systems and, and where those are at right now. So our atmosphere has always had a certain level of carbon dioxide, which has fluctuated a lot throughout history. And scientists have been able to um, see what those fluctuations have been because they actually dug down, um, you know, so far into the Antarctic ice cap with this machine that takes a column of ice and um, they're able to look at the air bubbles that are trapped in the ice and see what the content of carbon dioxide was in the air. Um, I think they went back like 800,000 years or something. They went back really far. And since the Industrial Revolution... Uh, which was just a blink of an eye in, in geological terms, um, we've been emitting way more carbon dioxide than is natural for planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that by, by digging up stored deposits of carbon um, in the form of fossil fuels. And we're also, we've, in the, in the past several decades, have disrupted amazing amounts of soil by taking all of the trees off the landscape and doing practices like tilling that release a lot of the organic matter out of the soil and really deplete the soil of its ability to hold moisture and different things like that. Um, and that's causing some issues for mm-hmm. the creatures that we share the planet with. And it's, you know, it's causing global systems to change. It's causing atmospheric currents and oceanic currents to change. Um, and you know, that CO2 in the atmosphere has properties that allow it to trap heat in the atmosphere. So that's just, yeah, it's just changing a lot of global systems so fast. It's going to be hard for us to adapt. And we, you know, part of, part of adapting is trying to restore those systems in whatever way we can. And so uh, restoring the soil by, you know, sequestering carbon or, um, restoring plant communities and having the added benefit of sequestering carbon, like it not only does it begin to restore balance to the, the carbon levels in the atmosphere and this and and in the earth, but um, it also creates more resilient ecosystems because you know, healthy soil will be more resilient to these changes that we're going to face. If you have soil that's all depleted and not being able to hold moisture, then mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot less time for that. you know, have different, have negative outcomes. And so, and if you have a a plant community that's been devastated and it's all just one kind of plant, um, that's going to be less resilient than a really dynamic ecosystem where there's, you know, grasses and shrubs and trees. And, um, so 
Yeah, I could go. Uh, I could go on and on about this, really. Um, well, it could be. It could be fun to revisit with you um, on the Ecology Hour to hear the progress of that carbon farm plan mm -hmm. and the ways that you have developed that help to build that carbon back into the soil and onto the landscape rather than releasing it into the atmosphere. Um, I love that idea. Yeah, a yeah. whole a whole hour long topic of how do we do that? Like, what does it look like? to be in relationship with livestock animals and with your land in a way that you're actually building its capacity to, you know, um, harbor life. and Because fairly frequently that's not what we hear, mm -hmm. that those two things can go hand in hand. So right. that's going to be great to revisit that with you on the Ecology Hour. Yeah, yeah. I feel like cattle get a really bad reputation when we're talking about greenhouse gases. And it. I know for me it was surprising to learn that cattle can actually do a great amount of service towards restoring mm. ecosystems, especially here in California. There's a really unique relationship between livestock and our um, our oak savannas. And, you know, even when you're thinking about the risk of fire and um, invasive grasses that are spreading in our area and things like that, um, there's, there's so much to bring up at the next mm -hmm. show about how cattle can actually be... Uh, an ally in that. Excellent. Well, we're excited to hear more about that. Yeah. It sounds like you've got your uh, workload pretty full, but is there anything else that you're working on that perhaps you haven't shared with us yet? Sure. Yeah, the carbon farm plan is actually about a third of the time I've spent. I've also been able to help out with the education program a lot, as you know, <laughs> being the education coordinator and all that. Um, we worked on an encyclopedia of local plants and animals for teachers to use in their lessons about local ecology, which was fun. Uh, and I've been able to sit in and help deliver some fire science lessons for middle schoolers, which actually has been a great learning opportunity for me, not only in delivering virtual uh, lessons and engaging students that way, but also um, in fire science, because fire is a new phenomenon for me. Um, I grew up in the world of hurricanes, so, um, yeah, and we're also having lambs come in the last week. We've had 15 lambs born, and so I'm getting trained up on how to keep an eye on the, um, the, the birthing ewes, the mama sheeps, and the babies, mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, going out and feeding the sheepdogs occasionally, which is a really welcome new duty. I love to interact with the animals here. It sounds like a huge breadth of different things that you're working mm -hmm. on and I'm guessing many things that are completely new so mm -hmm. it's exciting. It is yeah <laughs> and that's that's another to get back to your one of your first questions about what do you get out of a term of service with AmeriCorps is you really get to choose what you want to learn and there's so many different programs that are really specific um, or offer a really broad um, range of opportunities to learn and yeah I've felt that here at HREC that I've had a lot of different opportunities to grow even just in the last two months. Um, excellent. Yeah it is it's really exciting and excellent. <laughs> so from this point on you're taking over the rest of the Ecology Hour this That's evening. Right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who's going to be joining you for the rest of the evening? Yeah so next we'll be hearing from Bryce Hutchins who is the other Grizzly Corps member here in Mendocino County and he and I actually live together here at HREC, so we'll be sitting around um, our kitchen table. <laughs> and then we'll check in briefly with a couple of other Grizzly Corps members who are working outside of Mendocino County and just hear what's going on in other parts of the state. And to wrap up the show, we'll hear from Eliza Munger, who is the program coordinator of Grizzly Corps. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to moving on and, and introducing the other Grizzly Corps members. Excellent. Well, we'll make space and look forward to hearing from them. All right. So next we have the privilege of hearing from Bryce Hutchins, who's working at the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. Welcome to the show, Bryce. Well, thank you, Madrona. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So before we hear about the projects you're working on with your Resource Conservation District, I'd love to know what motivated you to join Grizzly Corps and to work in your chosen field? Well, my inspiration for entering the field of forestry kind of emerged in a roundabout sort of way. I grew up in Eureka in Humboldt County, and I was inspired by the landscapes we love so much here on the North Coast. Um, my father moved up to Humboldt in the 1970s to study forestry, 
and while I later became an artist, uh, my entire childhood was full of these sort of naturalist tours of the natural world. I grew up learning about things such as ecology and geomorphology long before I even knew what those terms meant. And uh, I ended up going to, to school at uh, UC Berkeley and started studying environmental science and started to go towards more of the social sciences. However, after spending a summer in the Sierras, uh, taking forestry classes, I fell in love with forestry as an interdisciplinary science, as something that connects our natural world uh, with our society. Uh, it was something that was very exciting. I saw a really bright future in improving our relationship with the forests and improving our interactions and our management and our stewardship. And uh, I've been really inspired by all the people I've met working in the sector, all the activism, all the science. Uh, and I really um, am excited to be here. And working with Grizzly Corps, I've found a way of connecting with people uh, and pursuing a, a future in it. And I'm really, really excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah, the forestry field needs people for sure. And I know we've talked about that. There's a lot of work to do um, with helping support resilient and healthy forests in California, especially. So working at the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District, uh, I know we've talked a bit about how you have a really broad scope of projects, but I'd love to hear more about what kind of projects you're working on at the RCD and which ones are the most exciting for you. Well, Madrona, the RCD works in so many different fields on so many different projects. It's really impressive the work that they do. Specifically, I'm working with the Forest Health and Resiliency Program. Our mission is to promote sustainable forestry and land stewardship through active management uh, for both climate change and fire resiliency on public and private lands. And so that means I'm going on a lot of site visits uh, to talk with landowners, to provide technical assistance, and to provide access to cost share programs so they can actively manage their forest lands. Uh, while I'm working on so many different projects, I think that's uh, my favorite because I actually get to work with people around our county. Uh, it's also, I think, one of the most impactful because a lot of these landowners are becoming increasingly, increasingly concerned about wildfire, about the health of their forests, and many of them have a desire to steward their land. Uh, and so to be able to be in the position uh, that I am as a Grizzly Corps member uh, I'm really excited to be able to help these land these land managers. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the things you advise land managers on. I know you're going in and helping them do forest inventories, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the stories that these people have and what the different land management, um, not problems, but challenges that you face are? Well, the landowners and uh, land managers that we work with at the RCD are as diverse as the county is. So we have people who've lived here for um, hundreds of years. They have family that owned ranches. We've had people who've recently retired and bought 40 acres in Anderson Valley and are looking at a place to settle down. So really there's a myriad of experiences people are bringing to us when they come and ask us for assistance. For example, some of the situations that we encounter while we are providing technical assistance are land managers who've had their lands burned by wildfire. And they wanna make sure that the forest that regrows is healthy. They wanna make sure that they have the same connection to the new forest that will emerge as they did with the old one. People mm -hmm. have a very uh, intense relationship with place People find a lot of meaning in place. Um, that's true for everyone in this county, whether or not you own land or live on land or observe it in your everyday experience. And so helping uh, these land managers especially is uh, something of really large uh, concern to me because these are people who've experienced uh, great hardship. They've lost their home. Uh, and it can be a, a very... Uh, challenging time. And so to be able to provide them assistance to uh, kind of help them in that healing process is something I, I find very impressive. And I'm, I'm very um, 
humbled to be able to do that for them. Another example of the scenarios that we're working on are land managers who are concerned about wildfire and they wanna be able to manage their lands in a way to reduce that risk. And so there's many different cost share programs available. And so some of the projects we work on are connecting landowners with natural resource conservation service cost share programs, such as the environmental quality incentives program. That's a program that will provide landowners with cost share funding for actually enacting these management strategies. And so we'll go and we'll visit with the landowners, sit down, talk about their objectives and their desires and their concerns, and work with them to create a plan that incorporates their own vision uh, and meets their objectives. That's beautiful. That's such a valuable resource for the community. And it's amazing that the RCD works with so many different landowners. So you've worked in a lot of different forests, and it sounds like even with your Grizzly Corps experience, you've had the chance to work in all different stages of forest and even different types of forest. From that perspective, what does a healthy, resilient forest look like? Well, for me, the first thing I look at is diversity. Uh, diversity, I think, is the largest indicator of function for ecological systems, for forests, and even for society. But uh, making sure that we have diverse forest lands, that's not just species. It's also the size of trees, the ages of trees on a landscape. I think that's uh, one of the most uh, important metrics to look for. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we might need to take a step back and look at the history of forests. Um, for time immemorial, indigenous people have managed our forest lands, especially here in Mendocino County. And fire was a huge component of that management. Mm -hmm. um, it was part of traditional environmental knowledge, the ways in which people uh, were able to use fire and work with fire to promote healthy forests, to provide foods and other products and a way of life. Mm -hmm. And we have to also remember that forests in California have evolved with fire. Mm -hmm. In fact, every ecosystem in our state has evolved with fire. Mm -hmm. And that's not just human-induced fire, it's also natural fires. And every landscape you'll find has a natural frequency of fire. Mm -hmm. Grasslands, for example, might burn every few years. However, an old-growth redwood stand might only burn every 250 or 400 years. But these are natural cycles that the plants have evolved uh, to coexist with. Many plants, in fact, uh, have evolved to be more healthy with fire. Mm -hmm. uh, certain trees are serotonous, which means their cones open and germinate following a fire. But that won't happen without that fire. Mm -hmm. Perennial grasses are healthier following a fire. So these are landscapes that have evolved with it. However, over time, fire is behaving differently on our landscape. And there's many factors for why that is. Mm -hmm. The largest, I think, is our management history. We've tried to eliminate fire from the landscape, leading to a buildup of fuels, dense forest stands, and a more unhealthy condition that is more susceptible to these large-scale, high-severity fire events that we are increasingly seeing. Another factor is climate change. We're seeing hotter and drier conditions, extended droughts, and that works with this management history to create this uh, fire scenario we are now living with. Mm -hmm. It's really important to bring up when we're talking about healthy forests that we're really living under a different management scheme just in the last blink of history. And that has a, a lot to do with the challenges we're facing statewide and um, the changing fire regimes that we're seeing. And... Um, Gosh, that just reminds me of this really interesting study I read where they looked at lake core samples to see if they could tie fire history to climate and see if climate was the deciding factor on when there were higher fire frequencies. And what they actually found is that the fire frequency was tied more to human use and management because, as you said, indigenous people used fire as a tool. Um, but again, 
like you said, that's because we have a buildup of fuels for landscapes that should have been burning every few years that are now only burning every 100 or, or so. So I'm curious, what is on the horizon for you for ways that we weren't working symbiotically with our forests that now people are beginning to see and change to work more symbiotically? Well, Madrena, that's a really interesting question. I think that we're at a point where we as land stewards and managers need to act as a fire surrogate. If we reintroduce fire on the landscape, it's likely going to have unintended outcomes. It's going to be too widespread because the fuel loading is too high. The forest stands are unhealthy. Uh, And so we need to act as a surrogate to fire until we can get the forest to a point in which we can have fire come back and be the maintaining force. Mm -hmm. And so we're at this crux, this time where we really need to increase the pace and scale of forest management Mm -hmm. across the state. And I'd like to take this, this moment to talk about the role of landowners in this process. We want to increase the pace and scale. Institutions and agencies only can do so much. Mm -hmm. It really comes down to the landowner on working on their own property. When living in a rural landscape, Mm -hmm. that comes with a lot of responsibility. It comes with a responsibility to manage and steward your lands and your forests. Mm -hmm. So how do you see, um, what's some advice you would give to rural landowners that aren't currently invested in actively managing the land for fire, um, what, what are some points that you might give them to help them begin to manage? Well, for many of these landowners, fire doesn't have to be the largest concern. It can be from a forest health perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have these forests that might have a density that's too high, the trees are going to be more unhealthy. There's greater competition for resources, for light and for water. And so by thinning out some of these forest, forest landscapes, you can create better growing conditions for those trees so you can have healthier trees. And that has a variety of beneficial impacts. It can help with the water supply in certain streams. We've been seeing with droughts in California that the densification of many of our forests are leading to in more intense drought effects on those same forests mm-hmm. because there's a greater water demand than the water supply. Mm-hmm. And so management doesn't necessarily have to be around fire, but they're also all interconnected. Another big issue is forest diseases and pathogens. Mm-hmm. By creating a healthier forest stand, uh, we can create more resilient forests a stronger, healthier tree is more likely to fight off a bark beetle, for example, Mm -hmm. or other pests. And so these are also things that are all interconnected because if you have a stand that might have a large beetle outbreak and you have these dead standing trees, that's a large fire risk as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think taking a holistic view can be very beneficial. But these landowners and these land managers aren't out here alone. There is plenty of help to aid them in managing their own lands. I urge them to contact the Natural Resource Conservation Service, like I mentioned earlier. They provide cost share funding Mm -hmm. through the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. EQIP. EQIP, yes. Uh, Also, there's plenty of resources at the University of California Cooperative Extension. We have Mm -hmm. an office here in Ukiah. They can contact Mike Jones there. For technical assistance, they can contact us at the Resource Conservation District. They can even contact the CAL FIRE office in Mm -hmm. Santa Rosa. There's a forestry assistance specialist there who can provide advice. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of resources out here. uh, And it's really on the landowner to take some of that initiative. We're here, but we can only do so much. We rely on landowners coming to us to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And we can provide them with resources. Another great option out there is UC Cooperative Extension has created a stewardship series. It's available online. I urge people to look up their website. And there is a series of courses that can help uh, land managers steward their own land and can help them create the basis for a forest management plan. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think is very helpful 
having one of those plans can provide greater access to cost share funding in the future, and it can provide a direction for your uh, for forest land. Those are so many valuable resources. Thanks so much for bringing up all those places people can go and look a little bit deeper into um, so many resources that are out there. Um, gosh, you were talking earlier about thinning your forests can actually make them healthier. And that reminded me of a conversation we've had in the past. We were in a redwood forest and you turned to me and um, passionately said, <laughs> which was almost concerning, but then I realized it was just tree passion. Um, what does this forest look like to you? Does this seem healthy to you? And I, I said, well, these redwoods all seem young. Um, they are all about the same size. I'd love to hear you explain what was going on with that redwood forest. Yeah, I'd love to expand on that. I also remember that conversation. Uh, I think a lot of people have a very close relationship with the forest, mm -hmm. but oftentimes people's perception of what a forest is is not necessarily accurate. We can only understand what we've really seen. Mm -hmm. and. Unfortunately, a lot of the healthy forest stands that used to exist in California no longer exist. Mm -hmm. The conditions that we see around us aren't really what a forest should look like. People see green and they see lots of trees and that seems like that's the way it should be. But in reality, it can be quite a bit different. Uh, a lot of forest ecologists talk about the quote, park-like landscapes of these old forests. And that meant there were large trees, very widely spaced, with a low understory with grasses, and you can imagine it was very park-like. That's what a forest should be. It's fire-adapted. Fires cyclically come through and remove the small trees, keep the fuel loading low, and it's a very biodiverse place. It's a very healthy forest, but that's not really what we see anymore. I think a lot of people associate uh, forest management with logging and harvesting, and I think that is a judgment that might be a little unfair. I think a lot of the practices of the past uh, were wrong and misinformed, but oftentimes that's not how it's done anymore. And forest management can be something that we can all do that can be quite beneficial mm -hmm. and can really help your forest. Uh, so when we talk about fuel treatments and thinning, it's not going in there to harvest trees. We're there to reduce the fuel loading, to make sure the trees that we leave are healthier than we found them. And they're more resilient to persist into the future. The danger about not treating a forest and not doing a lot of the work that needs to be done is these are gonna be high risk places that are in danger of disappearing altogether if a wildfire does come through. Mm -hmm. There's a lack of resiliency in these landscapes. Mm -hmm. And so if we can all work together to cultivate that resiliency across our forest lands, we will see these lands persist into the future. But that's kind of the moment that we're at, where we need this work to be done. Yeah, and those forests, like you said, they're not only in danger of... Um being killed by these high intensity fires, but also there are people living out in these landscapes, the landowners, land managers, and land stewards, that are also at risk in these rural landscapes if a fire does come through and there hasn't been thinning treatments, it puts them at greater risk from wildfire. Um, yeah, and that forest, when you were guiding my observation of it, you asked me to notice that the young trees were growing in rings and that would show where the old growth trees were. And that really opened my eyes to what the climax state of that forest looked like. And so that's something that I think about every time I go into Redwood Forest now, I'm looking for those rings that are evidence of the trees that were taken from the landscape decades ago. And it gave me a lot to think about when you told me that if you took away half or even 70% of those trees, um, those redwood trees would grow exponentially and become so much bigger and healthier. And that was a really beautiful thing to notice in the forest stand. So thank you for that. Um, and thank you so much for everything that you've shared on the show. It's been a really great interview, Bryce. So um, we'll be hearing next from Oya and Kathleen, who are other Grizzly Corps members. So I'm excited to welcome them to the show. But 
first I want to check in with those listeners who may have just joined us. It's about 7.30pm now and you're listening to the Ecology Hour on KZYX. We're talking about the Grizzly Corps program, a new AmeriCorps program. And our next guest on the show is Kathleen, who's serving her term of service with the Trinity County Resource Conservation District. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Hey, Madrona. Thanks so much for having me and telling everybody about Grizzly Corps. Um, yeah, I'm excited we're here. So before we get started talking about what you're up to at your RCD, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and why you chose to serve a term as a Grizzly Corps member. Yeah, um, so I graduated from UC Berkeley in environmental science in 2018, two years ago, um, and kind of just studied a lot of different things and some field work and soils and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and since then have just worked seasonal positions and I worked for about a year and a half in the Bay Area in environmental planning and consulting. Um, so like Environmental Quality Act work mm -hmm. and was kind of looking for a change and and looking to move potentially and, mm -hmm. and some things like that. And I found Grizzly Corps and it was just like seemed perfect timing and a program I was really interested in, um, you know, climate change mixed with ag and their forestry uh, just really spoke to me and um, applied right away. And yeah, I'm excited to be working on those kinds of issues in, in rural communities. Me too. I'm so glad I found Grizzly Corps when I did. <laughs> Came through at just the right time. Um, so you're working at the Trinity County Resource Conservation District. I'm curious what kind of projects you're working on at the TCRCD and um, what their overall mission is as well. Yeah, um, so I know a lot of RCDs in, in California are kind of majority focused on local ag, but in Trinity County, um, there's not a whole lot kind of in the world of ag besides small family farms um, and cannabis. <laughs> but here, so, you know, that being said, here we mostly work in kind of forest and riparian ecosystems with private landowners and the public and, of course, federal partners. So Forest Service um, with Shasta Trinity National Forest being the largest area and also Bureau of Land Management. Mm -hmm. um, I think actually something like 90% of Trinity County is federal land. So it's kind of, kind of unique out here. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, but so I sit within the TCRCD forest health program, uh, which focuses on improving forest ecosystems and protecting people's homes by helping to implement defensible space. Um, so projects can include fuel reduction, chipping services, we work with the County Fire Safe Council um, and help implement the County Community Wildfire Protection Plan. Um, and we also spearhead stewardship of the Reasonable Community Forest, or WCF, which is my main project area for my service term. Awesome. So, so tell us some more about that main project. Yeah, uh, so for listeners that don't know, which is probably most people since we're talking outside the Weaverville bubble. Um, WCF was founded in the early 2000s between BLM and TCRCD when several community members of the Weaverville area uh, wanted to have a say in what happened to about a thousand acres of BLM land outside of town that they were planning on trading with the timber industry. Um, so basically instead of trading the land, eventually TCRCD entered into what's called a master stewardship agreement with the BLM, which makes us the official stewards, even though BLM technically retains ownership and is responsible for um, certain things like some funding and all the environmental review for projects on that land. Um, later, the Forest Service also joined the WCF and now we have a separate stewardship agreement with them for several thousand additional acres um, roughly north of town. So total now the WCF is almost 15,000 acres, which is a lot of area, <laughs> um, 
of federal land surrounding the community of Weaverville, um, and it's all locally stewarded by us at TCRCD. Um, so that hosts most of the local trail system, um, community firewood sales, uh, fuel reduction, noxious weed treatment, and a lot of other projects to achieve fire resiliency and a healthy forest around Weaverville. Um, but that being said, you know, the WCF is still federal public land and it's open to everyone. It's not just Weaverville. Um, we even have a campground within the boundaries. And when you think about it, you know, community uh, as a function of a, the community forest here could really be anyone in the whole US since it's still national federal land. So even if you're a diehard Mendocino County resident, you can still be part of the community and welcome here in the forest. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, thanks for sharing. That sounds like a cool project. Um, so I guess to, to some, I'd like just love to hear more about why you care about this kind of work and what draws you to this field. Yeah, um, so personally, I've, I am from a town that's actually a little bit smaller than Weaverville, if you can believe that. Um, and so kind of just grew up in this rural, beautiful area and, and have always cared about the natural resources around me personally. Um, and kind of just throughout my studies in college became very passionate about climate change and environmental justice, which, you know, does include rural communities experiencing injustice. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I've just been really excited to, to join Grizzly Corps and, and kind of pair those two things. Um, I think often you'll come across a, a position or an organization that doesn't connect them very well. Um, so that's kind of another thing that, that drew me to Grizzly Corps. And, uh, you know, I like to say, especially in small towns, like everyone's an environmentalist, even if they don't really realize or, or act on it. Like farmers and ranchers need healthy ecosystems to turn a profit. Um, people in forests and mountain communities need healthy forests to be safe from fire. Um, and, you know, everybody likes to have clean air to clean air to breathe and clean water to drink. So really people's basic needs all over the world are deeply environmental um, mm. and related to climate change. And, and I'm excited to, to be working in that. Thanks for sharing, Kathleen. It's so good to have you on yeah. the show. Next, we'll be hearing from Oya, who's doing her term of service at the Marin Resource Conservation District. Oya, I'm curious, how did you get interested in this kind of work and why do you feel it's important? Hey, Madrona. Well, long story short, I fundamentally believe that we are all interconnected within our context and that we're responsible for our communal well-being. That probably comes from a childhood on a dirt road in the woods of Vermont and a young adulthood in cities in California. So I studied environmental justice and I'm working, uh, I'm trying to work collaboratively on equitable and community-based approaches to climate change resilience, especially within our food system. And that definitely includes agricultural production. Um, I think it's important because we need to care about each other and our world. We need justice and empathy, and we need to work on healing our communities and our world together. The Grizzly Corps program is attempting to do this, and I'm grateful to be part of it. I'm excited to serve Marin, its people, and its ecosystems by working for the Marin RCD. That all sounds like a mission I can get behind, too. Um, thanks so much for everything you do, Oya. Um, so I'm interested to hear some more about how the work of Marin RCD enhances ecological systems in Marin. So the Marin RCD has been a pivotal community-based facilitator of climate resiliency projects since its creation in 1959. We work with partner organizations, ranchers, farmers, landowners, and the people of Marin County to conserve soil, water, and other resources. We are knee deep in our own carbon farming program, but it's also important to give a shout out to some of the other pathways we take to reaching our mission. One of our key programs is called Conserving Our Watersheds, 
or cow. It's an app name because there are a ton of cows in Marin. The dairy and beef industries are well established here. And as several bodies of water in Marin County are listed as impaired by the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, there are state water board regulations to reduce pathogens, mercury, and all pollution in these important habitats. Since the watersheds in Marin are surrounded mostly by rangeland, where lots of cows graze, Marin RCD assists ranchers with stewardship projects that can reduce potential non-point source pollutants from entering the water. With our technical and financial help, ranchers can do larger scale projects than they could do on their own financially, such as installing miles of fencing and doing stream bank repair. Basically, the MRCD turned a regulatory scenario into a productive opportunity to address conservation concerns. The cow program has operated for over a decade, leveraging about $4 million to implement 156 conservation practices, affecting about 23% of the Tomales Bay watershed. In the end, the program is a win-win, helping the rancher, benefiting water-related recreation, and preserving habitat for wildlife. This sort of creative, collaborative work can also be seen in the Marin RCD's Urban Streams Coordination Program. Now, imagine you're a fish, a salmon, and you're heading from the ocean up a freshwater stream, fighting a vigorous current to reach your home area to spawn or to reproduce. This is the trek that every member of Lagunitas Creek's population of federally endangered coho salmon makes each year in West Marin. So how can we help these fish and build back up this endangered population? It all comes down to stream architecture. Historically, people tried to clean up the creek by removing wood and debris. Though they believed this was a helpful management practice, it turns out that woody debris is actually a crucial habitat feature for fish. Large woody debris has to come back or we'll lose more of those salmonoids. So fast forward through 10 years of planning to last year when the Marin RCD and its partners implemented the installation of two in-stream salmonoid habitat enhancement projects those included 36 pieces of large wood anchored to two-ton boulders. Some of those were 40-foot-long redwoods. They were installed along the creek banks and in the creek via local backyards of willing landowners. As you can imagine, this was a historic first-in-the-region program. Paired with erosion control and native plantings, this debris kickstarts, kickstarts key geomorphic processes in the channel. The large wood provides a velocity refuge, so salmon can, quote-unquote, catch their breath and not be swept downstream. Additionally, cover from predators and shade is provided. On the downstream sides, the scour pools created via hydraulic processes from the wood become critical habitat for the summer survival of juveniles during the period that they're in fresh water. Plus, these habitat features create a food input for nutrient cycling as aquatic insects break down the material. You know, everything is connected. We at the MRCD are so excited to be working on projects like these that represent relationship-based partnerships between humans that in the end impact all the creatures in Marin, from cow to fish to insect. We're excited to do more for the community over time. Thank you for listening to a bit of info about our work. Please visit MarinRCD, Dot org for more information. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Madrona. And thank you, Oya. Um, so next we'll be welcoming to the show Eliza Munger. Welcome to the Ecology Hour, Eliza. It's so good to have you on our show. Thank you, Madrona. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're the program manager of Grizzly Corps, which means you help sponsor 20 members across the state. Um, that must be a lot of work. What's your role with Grizzly Corps as program manager? Yeah, I, as program manager, I oversee and manage all day-to-day operations. So uh, we're a two-member team. It's myself and our program coordinator, Michelle Fang. And basically, we manage all aspects of the program, ensuring that things run smoothly, members feel supported, uh, sites feel like they uh, have all everything they need uh, to progress and start. And we are continuing and starting to really think about where Grizzly Corps is going to go in the future as well. Wonderful. Yeah, and you do a great job, job at that, I can say, as a Grizzly Corps member. 
Um, <laughs> how did the Grizzly Corps program come to be? This is the first site of it, um, or the first year of it. And I'm curious how a program like that gets off the ground. Yeah, absolutely. So Grizzly Corps was developed by Ken Alex, who is the director of Project Climate, housed at Berkeley Law's Center for Law, Energy, and Environment, which is otherwise known as CLEA. And while serving as a senior policy advisor to Governor Jerry Brown, uh, Ken Alex initiated another AmeriCorps program that's called Civic Spark, which is uh, still active and currently run by the local government commission in Sacramento. And really after seeing how AmeriCorps members could be successful at utilizing on the ground service work while building community resilience, Ken decided that he wanted to start an Amer another AmeriCorps program uh, when he came to UC Berkeley. So UC Ber uh, Grizzly Corps is actually uh, Berkeley's first AmeriCorps program. Um, and yeah, it was uh, designed and uh, brought to us by Ken. Thanks, Ken. And thanks for the Civic Spark program too. I applied to that four years ago or five years ago um, when I was still living in Mississippi. That's great. Yeah, it's exciting to hear they're uh, linked because that was the first AmeriCorps program I ever applied to. Um, well, that's interesting to hear the backstory. What are the main goals of the Grizzly Corps program? Yeah, really the ultimate goal of our program is to expand capacity for organizations that are currently working on building community resilience and climate action through the promotion of regenerative agriculture and forest and fire resiliency. So we target our support to rural communities who often face the greatest impacts of climate change. Uh, and additionally, our program's goal is also to bolster uh, folks like you, the next generation of professionals that really are at the forefront of climate change solutions. So Grizzly Corps is honestly the culmination of so many important elements, community resilience and outreach, service for underserved communities, climate change action, focus on rural California communities, promotion of forest and farm issues, and professional development opportunities for recent college graduates. Such an amazing program. And I understand that you partner with many different organizations. Of course, there's 19 different sites across the state, and it takes a lot of different people to get Grizzly Corps to flow and work. Um, who are the partner organizations and or what kind of partner organizations do you have and what are their mission goals? Yeah, we have honestly, truly incredible partners, and we would not have a program like ours without them. We currently partner with uh, a lot of resource conservation districts throughout the state, uh, a handful of NGOs, as well as some University of California research stations and cooperative extensions, um, as you well know. Mm -hmm. So we partner with Hopland Research and Extension Center, Blodgett Forest, and UCC Fresno County. In the future, we also hope to partner with tribes and tribal organizations. Uh, we're, we're also exploring ideas of having multiple agencies collaborate and create projects where AmeriCorps members um, could serve potentially as a team of members and support multiple agencies. Um, and kind of going back to your question uh, about mission goals, I'd say all of our project partners have a strong presence in regenerative agriculture and forest and fire uh, resiliency fields, which is important to our work. Each of our partners are also highly and deeply committed, committed to building community resilience, which is what drew us to them in the first place. Um, and I don't wanna speak for everyone's mission, but um, you know, we, we partner with about 10 resource conservation districts who are deeply committed to supporting public and private lands at local, regional, state, tribal, and federal levels. And really what they do is they ensure resilience and health of California's water, soil, wildlife, habitat, and natural resources. So those are the sources of 10 of our projects. We also partner with organizations that uh, really focus on promoting healthy and sustainable forests and watersheds. Others that are building sustainable food and farming systems through policy advocacy and on the ground work. We also partner with, uh, with some organizations that are deeply committed to focusing on rural communities and strengthening their participation in natural resource decision making. So I'd say it, it really all comes down to supporting local communities, climate action and resiliency. And we're, we're really lucky to have the partners we have. There's so much good work going on around the state. It's good to hear. 
all of those things that are happening all over the state all the time. Um, so that brings me to a question that I had about the future of the Grizzly Corps program. So I, you mentioned that you want to expand and bring in more kinds of partners and, you know, sub partnerships and things like that. Do you want to go deeper into that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're currently moving forward with recruitment of project partners for the 2021 through 2022 program year, uh, which will start uh, again in September and run through August. Uh, we expect we'll probably have another cohort of 20 AmeriCorps members, but there's the possibility that we might add another five to 10 AmeriCorps members. Uh, we're just still discussing that at the moment. But really we invite any organizations that have unmet resilience and capacity needs who serve rural uh, California communities um, and either are working towards or want to work towards promoting regenerative agri-food systems and fire and forest resilience. So we, we really encourage anyone to apply um, and our application will be live on November 16th for project partners. That's so soon. I guess that's, um, that's gonna be before the radio show airs. So the, the application should actually be live for all you listening now, because um, we'll be in the December ecology hour. That's exciting. Um, so let's hear some more about the Grizzly Corps projects. On this radio hour, we're hearing from myself and Bryce Hutchins, who are both in Mendocino County. Um, but I'd love to hear about some projects that are flourishing um, at the other 19 sites, or the other 17 sites, I should say. Yeah, um, to be honest, I'm, I'm really impressed with all of our members and sites. Uh, there's so far actually been a lot of collaboration between all of our sites as well. Um, I'll highlight a couple projects. Uh, one that I find really interesting is um, our member Elliot Grant at Serving with Sustainable Conservation. Currently, he's uh, deep uh, diving pretty deep into researching California's healthy soils practices. He's currently um, researching seven different topics, 30 subtopics, and he's continuing to present hard science, economic barriers, relevant organizations and institutions, as well as farmers and stakeholders to each of these topics. With the end goal, um, after also conducting interviews with scientists, farmers and organizations um, and folks that are involved in policy, uh, the end goal is to see whether or not um, that nonprofit organization should move towards creating a healthy soils program, integrating healthy soils practice into existing programs, um, or choosing to move in a different, uh, uh, somewhere else. And uh, all this research is both for the San Joaquin Valley, um, and he's actually gonna start researching this uh, on the Central Coast as well. So doing some really relevant research that I think will be beneficial to, to a lot of different organizations. Awesome, way to go, Elliot. Yeah, um, another site that I'd love to highlight is actually one of our other nonprofits, uh, which is the McConnell Foundation. We actually have two members serving there, um, which is Delphine Griffith and Jenna Waite. Um, their project, uh, they have a lot of different projects. So they're doing anything from seeding and planting of new perennial grass pastures, um, working on trails, uh, building a publicity and image um, in their local community of land management and regenerative agricultural practices. They're supporting uh, prescribed burns with CAL FIRE. Um, they're doing so much work, but something that's been really great to see is that they're also pushing their organization towards more holistic and drastic change and forward movement towards community interaction, fire management and prescribed burns regenerative agriculture practice and climate change resiliency. So it's great to see that, um, you know, some of our members have taken their projects, dived into them, but they're also pushing their organizations to go even further. That's awesome. Yeah, good work, Jenna and Delphine. Um, well, it's so good to hear from you and get your perspective on the, the inner workings and the overall vision of Grizzly Corps. And it's so good to hear that Every site is flourishing and um, going beyond expectations. Um, it's really inspiring to hear that Jenna and Delphine are able to bring some fresh energy and, um, and push their organizations to get even more involved in the community. That's the whole 
reason to bring AmeriCorps and fresh energy and new faces into like all of these different corners that definitely need the help and um, and support. So thanks for bringing that and for supporting that and for showing up on our ecology hour. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Madrona. Yeah, yeah. And thanks for all the support, Eliza. Of course. <laughs> And with that, we've heard from all our guests on this week's Ecology Hour. Thanks so much for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to your local resource conservation district if you have any questions at all. And you can always reach us at the Hopland Research and Extension Center as well. Good night, everybody.